Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Pastor Scott is preaching in Birmingham today, Birmingham, Alabama. It's probably a little cooler than here, than it is here. But um, So we are wrapping up the book of Ephesians today. We're in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And um, we started this series on January 8th. Yep. And we're at the end. It's true. I don't lie in church. Um, we're at the end of July, and so we're wrapping up a six-chapter um, Bible study that we've done to the book of Ephesians. And so I've, I've titled this, this um, sermon today, Finally Dress for Battle. Finally Dress for Battle. So Paul planted the church at Ephesus, just as a reminder. He spent two years there with them. But now he's in prison, and he's writing back to the church there at Ephesus. Again, it was written to the church of Ephesus. That's why it's called the book of Ephesians. And he's in prison now, writing back to the church that he planted, writing back to the church that he spent two years uh, establishing. And he says, he begins this last passage of scripture by simply saying, finally. Maybe when we talk about we're at the end of Ephesians, some of you are going, finally. Finally, we get to talk about something else. Well, let me just say, in a few weeks, Pastor Scott is kicking off a series on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm telling you, listen, it's going to be amazing, amazing uh, study. And I would encourage you to, to look for someone to bring, right, who maybe has a very narrow perspective of the Lord's Prayer. I'm telling you, God's going to open that up for us. And we're going to see things that are just going to be to our benefit and going to be amazing. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So uh, I'll tell you, I'll kind of summarize the whole book in just a minute, but he's, he's given us all this information, and now he's wrapping up by saying, considering everything we've talked about before, you need to prepare yourself for a battle. Because when you said yes to Jesus, you also said no to the enemy, and you stepped into a battle whether you realized it or not. So let me just give you four rules of war. Four rules of war. Um, number one, the goal isn't avoiding the battle. It's about standing in it. We're going to go on and read some more in this passage. And over and over again, uh, the word stand is there multiple times. Listen, I know that as American Christians, we would love no trouble and no persecution and no battle and no, that's not reality. Listen, you're either in a battle, you just got out of a battle, or there's a battle coming. Right? And your posture may determine your position when the battle's over. Listen, you don't cave, we're not called to cave in the middle of the battle. We're not called to run from the battle. No, we're called by the power of God's word to stand. The Bible says, having done all to stand, stand. When you don't know else, just stand there. Just, just stand and let God do what only God can do. Number two, the second rule of war is, if you don't know you're in a battle, you've already lost. If you don't know you're in a battle, you're already lost. I think... The church does a great job. As a church, we do a great job at reminding people how much God loves them and reminding them how much God is for them. I think we do a great job of, of talking about the plan of God and the blessings of God. 
I don't think we do a good enough job informing people that once they say yes to Jesus, that they become a target of the enemy. And I think because we don't do a good enough job that when it happens, they're not ready for it. And many times they fall away. Right? All through Ephesians, Paul has told us what God has done for us. In chapter 1, we talked about God putting his spirit in us as a guarantee in this life and in the life to come. In chapter 2, it talks about we were made alive in Christ. We are now one with Christ as believers. In, chapters, uh, in chapter 3, it talks about redemption. We are no longer slaves, but now we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Chapter 4, we've been given spiritual family. And here we are in chapter 6, and he's reminding us all those things are amazing, but there is a battle going on to try to keep you from all the things God has for you. When we said yes to Jesus, we became a target of the enemy, but we also became a target to the people that are in the, in the enemy's camp. Oh, listen, you were at work one day, Acting the fool with everybody. Being just like everybody else. And then something happened that led you to a service like this or led you to something on a radio or a TV. And it was the Holy Spirit drawing you in. And you said yes to Jesus. And you went back to work and you were different. You talked different. You had a smile on your face. And you were so excited you wanted everybody else to know. And they weren't ready for it. And what you thought was amazing became a threat to them. What you thought was amazing, they didn't think so. When you say yes to Jesus, you become a target of the enemy and those that are still in the enemy's camp. 1 John 5, verse 19 says this, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Listen, Satan can't touch God. You know that, right? Satan has no ability to get to God, to touch God, to mess with God. He's already lost that battle on the cross. Listen to Colossians 2.15. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. But let's just say, let's just say you didn't like me. Why would you not? Right? Uh, let's just say you hated me. Uh, obviously, you would have a problem. You would need some counseling. And I could help you with that for, for $100. So we take Visa, MasterCard, American Express. <clears throat> let's just say you hated me, but for whatever reason you couldn't get to me, what would be your next move to affect me? It'd probably be to go after the people that I love. If you couldn't get to me, you would probably try to get to my wife or my kids. Can I just tell you, that's exactly what Satan's doing when he's messing with you. He can't mess with God, so he's just messing with God's kids. We are hated by Satan because we're made in the image of God. Listen, you're not a threat to the enemy because of who you are. You're a threat to the enemy because of whose you are. And the fact that we are made in the image of God. We've chosen to say no to Satan's plans for us and to be a part of God's family. If you don't know you're in a battle, you may have already lost the battle. If you're not aware that you're in a battle for your marriage, you may be losing that battle. If you're not aware that you're in a a battle for your children and for your home and for your identity and for your sexuality and for your attention, then you may be losing the battle and not even realize it. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 says, So that we should not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or schemes. The third rule of war is, if you don't know your enemy, you're already defeated. As a country, when we send soldiers out, um, 
they have already prepared themselves very well. They know who their enemy is. They know their, 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 um, their, their patterns. They know their movement. They know locations. They go with military intelligence. And here what Scripture is saying is don't be ignorant of who your enemy is. Don't be ignorant of how he operates. Listen, if the enemy trips you up over and over and over again over the same thing, don't be shocked when it happens the next time. And prepare yourself in advance knowing that it's coming. Can I just tell you? The enemy is still using the same tricks today that he used in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. What did, what did, the enemy, what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? There are times when people come in for counseling and here and they'll go, I mean, I know that y'all, I, I know that y'all think this is wrong, but does God really think it's wrong? Well, it has, who cares what we think? It's what the Bible says, right? But it's the same trick. It's the same target. It's the same tactic. Did God really say? And then the other tactic is he convinced Adam and Eve that God was trying to keep them something from something that was good for them. The enemy dangles things in front of us, convincing us that God said no, but he's really just trying to keep us from something. Listen, he is trying to keep you from something. He's trying to keep us from destruction. He's trying to keep us from eternal separation with him. Thank you. Let's take up another offering. <laughs> but we're not going to tell Pastor Scott. As important as it is to know who your enemy is, it's just as important to know who your enemy is not. Listen to what he said in verse 12. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's one another. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, your enemy is not your ex. Your enemy isn't your boss. Your enemy isn't your coworker. Your enemy isn't your neighbor. They are not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan who uses those people to bring chaos into your life. Only one person is giving that offering. <laughs> Mr. Trevor, it's a hey, it's a good thing she's rich. Oh. See, we see them as our enemy, but God sees them as the harvest. There are people in our lives that create trouble and chaos for us, and we see them as our enemy. Listen to me. The Bible said this. The heart of God is that none would perish. Your ex, that's the harvest of God. Your boss, your coworker. God sees them as a harvest. God sees them as someone who he wants with him in eternity because they were made in his image. I know they're off the rails right now, but so were you at one point. So were we. There was a time when we were a mess as well, and there are still parts of our lives that can be a mess, right? But God loved us enough to reach us. Listen to Luke 4, 18. I don't have it on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those people who create trouble in your life, those people that you see as your enemy, they're just captives who have not found the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Listen, our world is under the control of the enemy. I, I know... 
that we want to believe God's in control. And listen, ultimately, God is, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is all-sovereign, but we are living under, in a world that is cursed. Because of the actions of Adam and Eve in the garden, they, we are living under a curse. If God was really in control, you wouldn't see the chaos that we see day by day by day. Now listen, here's what you need to know. There is coming a day when God will uh, bring punishment to the enemy and he will be ultimately in control. Right? But we live under a curse. We live in a fallen world. You got to remember that. The enemy is out to make it difficult for you and to keep you, uh, to get you off the track of serving your creator. And then fourthly, the fourth rule of war Know your king who you fight for. Listen, if we don't know our king, then we probably won't have his directives for the battle. If you don't, if, if, if you're not getting direction from the king, if you're not getting direction from him and his word, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go through battles and try to fight them on your own, in your own strength. And I got bad news for you. You will never defeat the enemy in, in your own strength. So, we're wrapping up Ephesians, Ephesians 6, so let's talk about this last passage that we're walking through today. It's Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 20, and it says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, all, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So if you're going to win in anything, you got to start with the right uniform, right? You can't show up to, a, to, to play basketball in football gear, right? You're, you're, you're done, right? You can't, you can't show up um, to a swim meet wearing uh, something you would wear for a different sport. you got to have the right uniform. And literally, that's what this scripture is laying out here, that God has a uniform for us when it comes to battle. We have to put on the armor of God. Now, here's what you need to know. The armor is available to all of us, but we have to put it on. Right? God doesn't put it on us. We've got to put it on ourselves, and we've got to choose to put it on. I know people who every single day wake up and pray through this passage of scripture and they pray, Lord, I choose to put on the helmet of salvation. I choose to uh, have my, sho my, my shoes uh, ready with the gospel of peace. Just walking through those things and literally verbally putting those things, verbally and mentally putting those things on. Just because it's available to us doesn't mean it's effective until we Put it on ourselves. So let me give you six, tool, six tools for the battle. You ready? So pr Paul is in prison. He's probably chained to a Roman soldier. So he's probably chained on one side and writing with his other hand. He's, uh, most New Testament scholars said that, say that he probably has watched guards from a second-story uh, prison cell. And it's possible that as he's seen their tactics and their movements and their armor, their uniform, if you will, that he takes that, that, that natural picture and uses it as a spiritual application for us. So I'm going to walk through these six uh, pieces of the armor of God. Number one, the belt of truth. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So um, they would... In that day, wear tunics, right? To me, it's just a dress. The men would wear dresses, but again, it's tunics. So they're going to battle. I've never tried to run in a dress. Ladies, maybe you have. I really have not. So, um, so, but I'm sure it's difficult. And so the belt of truth 
would kind of hold everything up and everything together. It would also protect some vital uh, organs. And so it says, put on the belt of truth so that when you go into battle, you're not trying to hold everything together. The belt holds everything together. Does that make sense? There's an interesting passage of scripture in John chapter 18. You may remember this. Pontius Pilate, the ruler, did not want to prosecute Jesus. And he calls Jesus, and he's trying to find a reason why he should let Jesus go. And he begins a dialogue with Jesus, and Jesus starts talking about truth. And Pontius Pilate, very sarcastic, sarcastically, and flippantly looks at Jesus and he says this, what is truth? And he literally turns and walks away. He doesn't, Pontius doesn't wait for an answer, which Jesus would have been prepared to give. He literally asks a question sarcastically and then walks away. Here's what's very interesting. The very night before this, you know who Jesus was with? Jesus was with Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas? And Thomas pretty much asked Jesus the same question, what is truth? And Jesus' response that Pontius Pilate would have been good to stand around and listen to, Jesus' response was this, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to my father but by me. It was revolutionary in the life of Thomas. But Pontius Pilate missed out on it. Simply, what is truth? The belt of truth, again, held everything together. If we're going to stay in the battle, it's going to be because we're committed to truth. Let me tell you what truth is. Truth is simple. Truth is what God says. You want to know what ultimate truth is? Oh, we all, well, I've got some truth. Ultimate truth is whatever God says. That is truth. Let me tell you what truth is not. Truth is not relative. Truth isn't relative. Truth is revealed. Truth isn't determined by our circumstances. It's revealed by God who sits above all of our circumstances and sees our beginning to our end. God's truth has stood the test of time. Over 40 authors, 66 books, collected over 3,500 years. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice, I don't have it on your screen, in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Can I tell you, your enemy has a goal, and that is to accuse you to the point that you walk away from God. Do not follow lies. Follow and pursue truth, the truth that comes from God. And let me just remind us all today. Our culture, our culture wants to steer us and direct us, and our culture is full of lies. What we prioritize as a culture really is so anti-God. Our culture says it's all about you and your happiness. You know what Jesus said? If you want to come unto me, you, you got to sacrifice yourself. you got to deny yourself. Our culture says the American dream is all that counts. Success is all about how much you make and all, how much you can acquire. I know some rich people who have a whole bunch of stuff, but they're broken and they're miserable. I know some, some joyful rich people. I'm not saying don't get rich. I'm not saying that. And, and, and bring me into the fold. Our culture says if you look right and you dress right, then people will love you. So he starts with the belt of truth because that's what holds everything in place. As we battle, if we'll keep our eyes on the truth of God, it will keep us, uh, it will keep us and hold us together. Because listen, 
you know how it is. I've been there. That things aren't going good and you start to question God. Tara and I literally, I didn't say this in first service. Tara and I literally about, I don't know, nine months ago. We, it had to be spiritual. Literally, it was just one bad situation and costly. Financially costly. One after another. And that made no sense. And you start questioning. God, we're givers. God, we're tithers. God, we're generous. God, God, we're doing what we know to do, but we're dealing with an attack. Listen, doing what we're supposed to do doesn't alienate us from an attack, right? Because Satan wants to get us off course. So now that you're a believer, who we choose to believe determines our everyday victory. I would imagine that most of us in here are believers. If you're not, if you're, if you're not walking in relationship with God today, you will have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus before you leave here today. But, but for those of us that are believers, this isn't about our eternal destiny. No, that was sealed when we said yes to Jesus. This is about our victory from day to day. Second tool is this, the breastplate of righteousness. Let's talk about what is righteousness. We all know people who we would say they're self-righteous, right? They think they're better than they are, and they think they're better than us, right? But righteousness isn't looking down on others. Real righteousness is when we are looking up to God. Righteousness, someone said, is this. Righteousness is simply right choiceness. That when we're making the right choices... Based on what God has called us to, that is righteousness. Now, let me just remind us. It is imputed righteousness. In other words, it's righteousness that we didn't earn. It's righteousness that was given to us. You don't walk in righteousness today because of who you are. You walk in righteousness because of who he is and what he has given you. When you said yes to Jesus. Romans 3.22, the righteousness from God comes from faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That righteousness came from, came from God. It came through Christ Jesus. Right? You remember 1 Corinthians, I don't remember the passage that says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we could never achieve righteousness on our own, but Jesus paid the price so that we could be righteous before our Heavenly Father. Righteousness is being right before God and and becoming right with others. You remember that there was a time when Jesus is walking with some religious leaders, and they asked him this, hey, Jesus, What's the greatest commandment? You remember what he said? Love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. But he didn't stop there. They just asked for one. He gave them that second one. He said, and the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Righteousness is not just loving God. Righteousness is also encompassed by how we treat one another. But you can't say, 1 John 3 says, you can't say you love God, whom you haven't seen, and hate your brother, who you have seen. We can't talk about how much we love God, but we're a jerk to everybody. Here's two truths about, <clears throat> about the breastplate of righteousness. Number one, for righteousness, you have to hunger for it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, or they shall be filled. Remember when you were a kid and it was after, late afternoon and you wanted a snack, right? I'm not the only one. You're like, Mama, i got to have a Twinkie. Mama, if I don't have a twink- Twinkie, I'm going to die. And she'd say, nope, you can have that. You're going to ruin your dinner. Mama, I can eat six Twinkies and not ruin my dinner, right? Today I can eat 12, but yeah, that's a whole different. Um. You, what was she saying? If you fill up on something that's not good for you, then you have no room left for what you need. Can I tell you that's the trick of the enemy? To fill us up with stuff that we really don't need and really isn't to our benefit so that we're, there's no more room left in us to pursue the things of God? God says, 
If you got a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and sometimes that means I'm not going to try to satisfy my own needs. I'm going to wait and let God be my satisfaction. Let God fill me up. So you, gotta have, you have to hunger for it. Number two, you have to offer yourself to God. Romans 6, 19. Just as you used to offer parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. He's simply saying this. Instead of being a slave to sin like we used to be, make a choice to, to, to attach yourself and commit yourself to the things that are right. The third thing we see in the armor is the gospel of peace. It says as shoes, the gospel of peace would be as shoes for our feet. Our feet are our foundation, right? They are what we stand on, obviously, literally and figuratively. It's our foundation. Over and over again in this passage, we're told to stand, 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 stand. If we're going to stand, our foundation is crucial. But we're to stand for the gospel of peace. You know this probably, but the word gospel simply means good news. Our peace comes from the good news of our salvation. Listen, it should bring peace to us to know what a mess we were. Literally, when I think about where I would be if Jesus hadn't entered our family, if my dad, who was an alcoholic, hadn't ended up in a terrible car accident in Mississippi on a snowy night and almost died. It, was, it wasn't God trying to get him. It was God trying to reach him. Because it was in that hospital bed in those three months that a Catholic priest walked in and said, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And my dad said, oh, I go to church. Every, and he said, I didn't ask you about church. I just asked you, do you know Jesus? And he came back day after day after day. And finally, my dad said yes to Jesus. He was an addict. He was an alcoholic. He was a chain smoker. He was addicted to gambling. He never touched one of those things again to the day he passed away 12 years ago. But that wasn't the end of the story because my mom had already filed for divorce and kicked him out. But when he... He had no place to go. And my mom agreed to let him come home just until he got better and he had to leave again. But when he got home, instead of someone who was demanding, he was kind. And someone, instead of someone who, who could hold a grudge, he was grateful. And all of a sudden, she saw something different in him. Can I tell you what gives me the peace of God? Is that when I think about who, where we could end up, when I think about all seven of us kids, where we could have ended up, and yet all seven of us have served in full-time ministry, that gives me peace. And not only my generation, but the generation after us, that we're all serving Christ. That should give us peace, that God loved you enough to reach you. Our God loves us so much, and he knew we couldn't pay for our own sin, so he sent his, son, sent his sinless son to pay the price for our sin by dying on the cross. You might remember Jesus talking about this in the gospel. It's the night before he was betrayed. And the Bible says he and Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples, are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they went away to pray, and, and Jesus sent... Peter, James, and John to pray on their own. And you remember they fell asleep, right? And Jesus, remember this, Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he could have stayed in heaven. Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, chose to take upon himself the form of a servant, I'm paraphrasing, to come to earth, to live among us, to die for us. But here he is the night before he's betrayed, and he goes to God and he says, God, I don't want to do this. Oh, I know this is my calling. I know this is why I'm here, but I don't want to die. Let this cup pass from me. Three times he goes to God, basically saying, God, is there any other way? 
Is there any other sacrifice we could use? Is there any other foundation? Is there any other religion? Is there any other way other than me being persecuted on a cross? And the third time he goes, he says this. He uses the word Abba, which simply means daddy. Gosh. Daddy. Daddy, I don't want to do this. You remember how he finished the prayer? But not my will. But thy will be done. It should give us peace to know that Jesus died on our behalf. Listen, he didn't die for the multitudes. He died for you. He didn't die for everybody. He died for you. And he died for me. And that should give us peace. Number four, the shield of faith. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. I think one of the reasons we don't always walk in faith is because the enemy comes and remind us of who, reminds us of who we used to be and what we used to do. And some of y'all were bad. I was good. Y'all, some of y'all were bad. But can I just tell you, the Bible says he gives us a shield of faith almost literally to block the accusations of the enemy. That when the enemy comes to tell you how bad you used to be, remind you of all the things you did and who you were with and the things you said and what you took that wasn't yours. The Bible says, again, that God has disarmed the enemy. Can I just tell you, Satan wants to use our past so that it can be our undoing. But the truth is, when he reminds me of who I used to be, I'm just reminded of the forgiveness and the redemption that I didn't deserve, but I have in Christ Jesus. He wants to defeat you. Listen, use his tactics to remind yourself of what's been given to you in Christ Jesus. That's why you can stand in the midst of an attack. And can I just remind you, We're not just forgiven from our past. No, we're also freed from our past. The Bible said old things are passed away and all things have become new. The helmet of salvation is the fifth. The helmet of salvation, salvation is simply us being rescued. Have you ever saw like pictures where there's been flooding in an area and they're literally people or cars uh, that are trapped in the current in a, a lake or a river and literally they're just being taken by the current and they have no way to rescue themselves that it takes someone in a helicopter it takes someone on the bank who, who is refreshed and not in the current to rescue them we were lost in sin and we couldn't rescue one another No, it needed to be someone who was sinless to reach us in our sin. And the Bible says that's what Jesus did. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You couldn't save me even if you wanted to. Only a sinless person could rescue me. That was Jesus. We were headed for destruction, but Jesus reached out his hand and said, just take my hand. And he lifts us out of that. There's a a great passage of scripture. One of of my favorite passages of scripture is Psalms 103, the very beginning. It says this. Uh, Can I read it to you? Um, Let me just read it to you real fast. Psalms 103, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I love this next verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. There are benefits to your walk with Christ. There are benefits to your relationship. with. Oh, I know there's a battle. I know we go through hardship and struggles, but there is a benefit. His benefits, he forgives all of our iniquities. He heals us from our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. Some translations say he redeems us from the pit. And he crowns us with loving kindness and tenderness uh, and tender mercies. He redeemed us from the pit. Only God can do that. Oh, 
You may have tried over and over and over again, but when God reached out his hand and you finally took it, it was different. It's interesting that this helmet of salvation protects our head and our mind. Can I just tell you? The Bible says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with stress. Listen, if you'll focus on Jesus, I'm not saying you don't need medication. I'm not saying you don't need counseling. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying a starting point is to fix your mind on him. Fix your mind on Jesus. Listen, you put on the helmet of salvation by reminding yourself of the cross of Jesus Christ. By reminding yourself of the blood of Jesus that was shed there on Calvary. Because listen, that's where the power is. When we try to do it on our own, we're no match for the enemy. But when we remind ourselves of the cross, when we remind ourselves of the blood of Christ, when we remind ourselves of the word of God, all of a sudden, that's where the power is. When you're feeling like I can't make it another day. Maybe you need to paint a mental picture for yourself of you standing at the cross of Jesus with your problem, with your issue, with your struggle, and see it in light of the cross. How does this sin that I've committed look in light of the cross? In, in light of the cross of Christ? I can tell you how that sin looks. It looks forgiven. Because 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does this decision that I'm facing look in light of the cross? How does does it all look? Listen, he provided for us. He is our provision. And then lastly, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Everything up to this point is defensive. This, the word of God, is our offense. So we're ready for battle. We've got all this stuff on, our shoes, our skirt is all guarded up around us. We got our belt, we got our, our armor, our, our breastplate of righteousness, our shield. And now we got to figure out how we're going to attack. And that comes through the Word of God. The Bible says, take up the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus came out of a 40 day fast. And the Bible, the Bible says that the enemy. Satan literally approached Jesus to tempt him. Of course, he was hungry, so what do you think the very first thing he tempted him with was? He tempted him with food. Say to these rocks, turn these rocks into bread. And then then he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. It wasn't Satan's to give. And can I just tell you, Satan's been trying to promise you some things that it's not his to give. He can't bring contentment. He can't bring peace. He can't bring satisfaction. He can't bring your marriage back. He can't bring your kids home. Quit believing the lie of the enemy where he's trying to provide you with something that's not his to provide. Three times, and you remember what Jesus did. All three times, Jesus used the word of God as his defense. This was Jesus. If I'm Jesus, I'm going to be like, don't be dumb. But Jesus went to the word and literally began to quote the word. Can I just tell you, sometimes when we're in the battle with the enemy, we're just, it's just all in our thoughts and our feelings. Listen, we either think emotionally or logically. And sometimes you got to force yourself to think logically and speak log- logically. Oh, I know what I'm feeling. I know what I'm going through. But logically, the Bible says no weapon formed against me will prosper. Logically, the Bible says that he is for me, he is with me, and he will never leave me or forsake me. Sometimes you got to make yourself say what is truth versus what you're feeling within you. Remember, it's the spirit, it's the sword of the spirit, not your own sword. The reason that's so important is this, uh, is that, The word of God literally wants to do surgery on us, and it wants to defeat our enemies. Listen to Hebrews 4.12, and we'll close with this in just a minute. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. 
for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How does the sword protect us? How does the word of God protect us? It protects us as it works on a sword on me and for me. The Bible says that not only is the sword of the spirit the thing I use to fight Satan with when he brings temptation and trouble, but the Bible also says I've got to let that word, the word of God do a work on me as well. The word cuts into the deepest parts of my life slowly, gently, surely, shows me my attitudes and the areas I need to change. Some of you are trying to fight this on your own. And I'm telling you, you need to begin to use the word of God. Let me give you a great, great, uh, we may have some in the lobby, I don't remember. But you can just go online and look up the 40 IMs. Just do a Google search for the 40 IMs. And it's, it's 40 things that the Bible says you are. And just remind yourself of who Bi- the Bible says you are. The enemy wants to remind you of who that person said you would always be. God wants you to remember that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want to wrap up by just reading the end of that chapter as we close out this, this series. Verse 21 but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort in your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let me just say this. The question today is, have you ever said yes to Jesus as Savior? Because if you haven't said yes to Jesus as Savior, then you really are just fighting on your own. It's not until we say yes to Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives does he go into battle for us. Does he begin to be our protector? Does he begin to be our provider? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Religion tends to make it very difficult for us to get to God. Religion says we've got to jump through all these hoops. But Scripture says it's easy because God wants relationship. Oh, you, it, when I say it's easy, it, that first step is easy. Oh, there's going to be some difficulty. But the first step, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I just want to give you an opportunity to call on Jesus today. If you're here today and you say, I know that I'm not walking in a healthy relationship with Jesus. I know that I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I want to be. I'm about to pray a prayer, and I want to include you in that prayer. So if you're here today, and you want me to include you in that prayer, I want to ask you to stand or come forward. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. If that's you today, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are, and you can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. I'm going to ask every believer in this room to pray in support of you. Let me just say this. The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. 
I believe that you, fa- that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart. No matter what it costs me, I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we celebrate with these as we stand today? Thank you for being in church today. Hey, if you committed your heart to Christ today, if you go by the information desk, they've got a Bible for you. And uh, if, if, if that's a need for you, we just want to encourage you to be a part of a spiritual family. Hey, as we prepare to leave, uh, let me just let you know uh, two things. Number one, if you need individual prayer, our prayer team will be here in the front, and they would love to pray with you. And then secondly, uh, on Wednesday, August 9th at 6.30, right here in the auditorium, we are doing a night of prayer and worship, and we're really praying for students who are going back to school. It doesn't matter if, you're, if your child's in kindergarten to college. It doesn't, we're going to be praying for students as they go back to school. And we'd love for you to be a part of this. After the event, we'll have some ice cream treats and that kind of thing. And, uh, but we would love for you uh, to be here that night on August the 9th at 630. Hey, let's pray and ask God to bless us as we go. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for all the truth there. <clears throat> Father, today we pray that we would walk in the truth of your word. God, we know that the enemy is against us, but we thank you that you are for us. And Lord, in the end, that's what really matters. Lord, as we go from this place, we pray that you would guard us, guide us and keep us. We pray the same of the Father, the Son, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great, great afternoon. Stay cool. Just